Wednesday, June 27, 2018. This is Born to Battle, brought to you by the Department of Veterans Affairs. I am your host, Marine Corps veteran Timothy Lawson. Just a reminder on our Explore VA Facebook Live event tomorrow. I've mentioned this a few times on the show already. There's going to be a Facebook Live event focusing on the VA home loans and housing-related assistance. It's going to be hosted on the National Association of Realtors Facebook page, so it's important to know. It's not going to be on a VA Facebook page. It's going to be uh, on the uh, on the National Association of Realtors Facebook page. That's where the Facebook Live event's going to happen. It happens at 1 p.m. Eastern on Thursday. That's tomorrow. Uh, and this is going to be an important event. If you're uh, unfamiliar, if you don't if you don't know the ropes on the VA home loans, I highly suggest that you tune in because the, the more you know, the more prepared you are going into home ownership. And the VA home loan is such a, such a valuable tool, valuable resource uh, for those that qualify. So uh, tune in you can go to explore.va.gov slash events for more information about that event and to keep up to date with events coming along down the line. This week's interview is going to be with David Zerflu, the national president of Paralyzed Veterans of America. David Zerflu was elected Paralyzed Veterans of America's national president at its 71st annual convention in May 2017. Immediately prior to becoming president, Zerflu had served as National Senior Vice President since May 2015. A member of the Air Force from 1987 to 1995, Zerflu served as a jet engine mechanic and a crew chief in Operation Desert Shield and Operation Desert Storm. He was injured in 1995 in a motor vehicle accident while on active duty in Japan, suffering a shattered left arm, broken left wrist, and broken neck. He was diagnosed with incomplete quadriplegia, spending one year as an inpatient and two years as an outpatient at Seattle VA Spinal Cord Injury Unit. David joined Paralyzed Veterans in 1995. He has been an active member since 2003. David joins the podcast to tell us about his service, about his injury, how it impacted his life, his time at Paralyzed Veterans of America, what it makes the organization so important, and how society has evolved in accommodations for, uh, for, for people in wheelchairs and other injuries. Enjoy. We grew up together. We believed in something bigger than ourselves. The military took me to one side of the world and her to the other. And even though she was always the strong one, when we caught up years later, I found out she had fallen on some hard times. It was her call to make, but doing it together made all the difference. For veterans who are homeless or on the brink of homelessness, call 877-424-3838. David Zerflu, uh, National President of Paralyzed Veterans of America, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Um, we, we're going to start this interview where we start all of our interviews, and that's talking about your decision to join the United States military, because that's the one thing that all of us veterans have in common. Uh, bring us back to that decision for you. Um, the decision probably started after uh, Top Gun, the movie, if you um, age dating myself. Um, I wanted to join the Navy, but I was only 16 at the time. Uh, when I got older and realized my parents would have to sign a, a form for me to go in the Navy, um, things changed. The, the movie wore off. Um, 
I, being the youngest of seven, I couldn't go to college. I didn't have any money, so I asked my parents, and uh, they didn't have money either. Um, my dad had served in the Army. My grandfather served in the Navy. Uh, my brother went in the Air Force, and uh, he did well after. He did four years, and that seemed like the path to go. And I felt patriotism, too, to serve. I, just felt, I felt the need to serve early on. I narrowed it down to the Air Force and the Marines, flipped a coin, and heads Air Force One. So, so he, um, there's a you know, there's a thing called flipism, right? And if um, it's the idea that when you fl- you flip a coin on any any heads up uh, decision making, and you don't necessarily go with what the coin decided, you go with what your response to the coin flip is. That's so right. when when you're when the coin hit heads for Air Force, did you feel a bit of excitement for that uh, result? And is that why you rolled with it, or were you completely indifferent and just went with, uh, went with what uh, what the result was? Um, I was completely indifferent. Either okay. one would have been fine. Interesting. And I let fate decide it, and uh, my best friend flipped the coin. Okay. So, <laughs> so you so you, you you left yourself out of it. No no personal bias. I'm possibly. I did that did that on purpose. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Very so. well. Uh, well, as a Marine veteran, I'm I'm disappointed that you, you did not <laughs> you did not join our ranks, but uh, um, but you know. Uh, the Air Force, uh, my, my brother-in-law is in the Air Force, and um, as much as much flack as we, we try to give the Air Force, uh, there's every branch has uh, just amazing things that they're capable of, and um, I think that's one thing that's really great about the military community is all the branch wars and making fun of each other, and in the end, there's so much respect for one another because every branch just has such a, a unique perspective and a unique approach to, uh, to service, and it's, it's really cool. Absolutely. Um, so tell tell me about a, a a close friend or a great leader that you had while you were in the military. You can choose either one, but tell me about that person. Um, probably Bill Green. Uh, he was a gentleman who grew up in San Diego. He was actually my third boss in the service. Uh, but Bill had an affinity for for our country, and he took great pride in being to work on time, making sure the small details were done when he came to working on jet engines or aircraft. And I could feel that sense of, of pride and dedication to country. And uh, he kind of instilled it in me and, and got me to instill it in the airmen that served under me. Yeah. Um, so we, in, an accident um, uh, occurred while you were on active duty, is that right? Yes. Yeah. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, um, we just finished, I believe it was Cobra Cobra Gold, or I can't exactly remember what it was. Um, but every year they, we would do a simulation um, for an attack from North Korea because I was in Misawa, Japan at the time. Uh, we were half an hour by air from uh, most of the North Korea sites. And if something had happened, families and personnel were going to get moved to Misawa from, I believe it was Incheon and Osan, some of the bases over there. And so we would have to don our chem suits on. And uh, everybody hated it because it sometimes it'd be in the summertime, it'd be yeah. 95 degrees out, and you're working in the suit all day. Most times we only had to do it for two hours, but sometimes we had to do it for the full shift uh, just so you, it became natural, I think was, was the point of it. And uh, a couple of folks have been deployed to Thailand, I believe, and we hadn't seen them in about 30, 35 days, I think it was. And they came back, and we were kind of all celebrating And at the end of the exercise. And we did it in conjunction with the Japanese Self-Defense Forces, too. Not all of us interacted with them, but we were all kind of a part of it. And uh, we all celebrated the end of the exercise and everybody being together again. 
and uh, on the way back to base, uh, I rode in the car with a, with a Japanese friend, and he uh, hit uh, black ice. And uh, it was at the period in April where it was going from hot to cold. And we were going downhill about 60, 65. Uh, he hit the brakes when we hit the black ice. Lost control of the vehicle. Uh, I slammed into a pole, which knocked off the side of the car. Uh, cut my seatbelt and ejected me when we came to a stop. And so I went shooting out of the vehicle. And I uh, went head first into a plexiglass window, and I blacked out. Yeah. So. And then when... When did you regain consciousness? Um, re regain consciousness in the hospital, uh, kind of on and off on the way there. And uh, when I woke up in the hospital, I was surprised I was alive. Yeah. Um, I had shattered my left arm, uh, broke my wrist, and broke my sixth and seventh vertebrae. Um, in the um, in the bio that I read, uh, it said that you were an incomplete quadriplegic. Yes. What What does that mean? Uh, well, initially when I was hurt, I couldn't move anything from the neck down for about a month. Okay. And uh, and then things would slowly come back. Okay. And is it is that where the incomplete comes in, that yes. things came back? Yeah, my cord is basically uh, bruised. It okay. was crushed on one side. Um, it affects most of my right side the most. Um, if you're complete, your cord is usually severed. And for whatever injury level, you don't have any sensation or right. use from there. For mine, it was uh, sporadic. And there was one other person that was incomplete. Um, when I went through rehab in Seattle at the same time, and uh, he was a C5. He could actually walk better than I could at the time, but he couldn't raise his arms very well. Hmm. And uh, C6-7 affects your arms. That's where your nerves run through, 6-7-8. Um, it took me about a year to get back what I could. Yeah. Um, a lot of aggressive therapy, walking in pools. I used a wheelchair for about three years. Okay. Uh, the last two years, I was kind of in and out half the time. Um, I wear leg braces right now that keep me vertical, and I use a cane. Um, after the four-year mark, I was lucky enough to walk, ambulate with leg braces and a cane. I've done this for 20 years now. I'm like that fish out of water. I'm starting to regress hmm. uh, back, so it's just the nature of, of things. Yeah. But uh, as long as I have the ability to ambulate, I'm going to do it the best I can. Sure. So. Um, so, so during during that recovery process, are you are you doing anything other than recovering? I mean, I guess we we hear about you know we hear about service members that get injured and they go they go through therapy and stuff like that. Did you, did you have a vocation? Were you um, uh, what 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 else was going on in your life during those those years of recovery? Um, inpatient wise, I would bond with uh, four other guys that we were all hurt roughly within two months. And they call us the Fab Five in Seattle. And uh, we were all trying to figure out what we were going to do with, with the current circumstances. Um, that led to eventually meeting an NSO, which came to your bedside. And that person literally changes your life. Because when you're in the VA, you have no idea what you're going to do. It's, it's so overwhelming, and there's a myriad of things coming at you. Um, they guide you through the, through the, um, the fray or the, the confusion of, of what your life is at that time. They lay out a course. And it's up to you to make that decision. They lay out the fact that you can go to school, you can find work. You know, the first thing is to take care of your rehab, but when that's completed, this is what you need to think about. These are the opportunities for you. And uh, that person was probably, it goes on today, and uh, that's why I give back to PVAs. That's the point where PVA has probably the greatest impact in someone's personal life. Yeah. What, um, I, I imagine that your injury, you got a medical separation mm -hmm. from um, – 
what how long did it take for you to realize that that had happened um i guess i guess what i mean is i'm sure you were focused on rehab when did you finally realize like oh that's i'm not going back to that um i was hurt in april and it was probably i want to say august yeah this is when i had that talk with uh with the nsl and the um social worker you you kind of fool yourself thinking you're going to come back in yeah because i really wanted to go back to work and serve my country um in my mind that's what i wanted to do but reality was going to dictate otherwise and uh when august had that talk and they said you're we're going to be separating you medically uh that's probably probably one of the lowest points of my life uh personally and but you get over it you press on you realize you got to put that behind and focus on what's ahead and uh that's where i think pva had the greatest impact too that's when they discuss these are things that can happen there's a local chapter after re after rehab and getting out of the hospital um that's what i did i went and approached the chapter um, they gave me opportunities but uh, jack michaels was the executive director at the time and i didn't know he was past president of pva sat down and say hey once you figure out if you want to go to school first or if you want to work when you make that decision come back the chapter will be here um, we'll show you what opportunities you can you can do and uh, that's exactly what i did so i went back to school for about three years yeah did you did you did you did you do you feel like you got enough out of your service to feel fulfilled in your ability to serve or do you feel like um do you feel like that was cut short um at the time i thought i'd let people down yeah i, I really did um but now no i think i think the circumstances were out of my hands and um i knew that i gave my best up until that point yeah. so now i feel um satisfied with what i did but initially, no. Yeah. Um, so what did you end up deciding between work and school? Um, I wanted to first be a, a uh, go in the psychology field. But uh, I had made certain connections in Japan with um, Japanese people I, I knew when I was serving over there. And I reconnect with them. And of all things, I got into a snack bar business. The snack bar business. Yeah. Interesting. It, it's basically just kind of a... Was it a booming industry back then? <laughs> it was back then. Yeah. And a snack bar is just a, basically a mini bar. And uh, there's usually a theme, and I thought American theme would be popular, and it kind of was. And I went back and forth for about three years. Okay. And uh, we kind of grew it, and I knew it's not. I didn't want to do it forever, so I kind of I got rid of my shares of the business and, and sold it off to them, so... And then, um, I mean, you, you've been you've been with PVA for a while now. Mm -hmm. When did you first start getting involved with them? Um, probably 2003 is when I seriously got involved. Um, I used I did activities that the chapter put on, but after school and, and working in Japan and all these other things, I this, I decided to get serious. I needed to give back, and that was kind of the breakthrough year. Um, one one of the things we're gonna, I want to. Uh, make a, a theme as we're talking is the is the evolution and accommodations that uh, that uh, we've made um, in society. Um, you said you were traveling back and forth between uh, here and Japan. Can you compare what traveling then was like versus now? Have has there been uh, improvements on accommodations or um, what was it like back then? Uh, back then it was probably very difficult if you're in a wheelchair yeah. or even with a disability to travel and um since 2003 it's gotten a little better but it's been a snail's pace yeah um what's what's missing still or maybe what, what needs to be better 
uh, in present day? I think just the consistency of travel. Okay. Um, that That's kind of lacking. I think they have a, an idea if you're someone with a disability or especially I've traveled in a wheelchair too because I've used wheelchairs and scooters throughout the 20 years. Um, I've been in the aisle chairs. It's just you, things are not consistent yeah. trip to trip. And uh, if they could just get consistency in travel, it would uh, alleviate a lot of people's fears sure. with disabilities. Um, so you, you started 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 seriously getting involved in 2000. And I don't know why that why that <laughs> sentence right. gave me such a hard time. In 2003, uh, you're now the national president. Voted in uh, last year at the convention. Yes. Yeah, 2017, yes. right? Yeah. Yes. Um, we, you know, Paralyzed Veterans of America, we know, supports and, you know, advocates for paralyzed veterans. Um, but other than other than the, the niche of who you serve, what else do you believe makes PVA unique in, in the veteran space? Um, probably just our, just our disability. We try to be the go-to organizations for someone with a spinal cord injury, disease, um, MS, or ALS. If you're a veteran and you have that disease, or even if you have PTSD or TBI, we don't care. We're, we're here to serve you. We want to be the organization you come to. Yeah. And how, and, um, is it membership based? Is it, uh, I mean, how, how does, how, how are, uh, how do you consider your, your, uh, constituents or your, or your, the, the, the veterans that you serve? Um, you have to be a veteran with either spinal cord injury, ALS yeah. or MS or disease. Um, but we do take in uh, I guess, is it, is it like DAV and Legion where there's like a membership involved? Yes. Yeah, okay. Um, but if you're someone who's not, you can still be an associate member. Sure. But uh, in order to obtain a position on a board or a chapter board or someone with a vote, you have to be a member. Sure. 33 chapters, is that right, yes. currently? Um, how, how has that been in growth? Uh, you said you, you connected with a, a chapter um, uh, early, shortly after you were injured, yes. um, how has that growth been for PVA in uh, in uh, active chapter, a- active chapters, active members? Um, it's been good. I mean, seven years ago we were just a thought, and then there was initially four chapters that kind of spawned after World War II, and it grew into the 33 it is today. Uh, we just saw the need, and we tried to fill in the holes where the needs were. Um, I knew nothing about PVA initially when I got hurt. I found out after the fact. And the, the chapter was there to support through a hospital liaison program to reach out to new members. They also reach out to older older veterans that are there for hospital care. Uh, when I found out about that, that drove my interest to get involved with the chapter. Um, they provided opportunities to, through usually sports and recreation, advocacy, um, I did on a part-time volunteer basis. I wanted to give back full-time in 2003. I approached the chapter, found out the opportunities. I served as a sports director, hospital liaison for years. And I want to say in 2007, it was when the opportunity to run for vice president came. Um, I was fortunate enough to win. I served in that capacity, and it eventually led me to become a chapter president and try to fulfill programs in our regional area for our members. Uh, we had about 450 members at the time in um, Washington State, Idaho, part of Montana, and Alaska. Uh, it's a very diverse area, yeah. but we try to, with a limited budget, do what we can for our members. Um, Al Kovac, who was a past president at the time, he, at the time he was vice president, reached out to me to consider running for the national level. 
And uh, I told him I'd think about it. I thought about it for two weeks. Um, I thought I could do it. And he gave me some hints on how to run. I did it, and I was fortunate enough to win in 2010. As a vice president, I worked my way up to senior vice and currently uh, president today with the mindset that our members are first. Yeah. And uh, we need to be as open and transparent as possible. And we constantly need to make sure we're doing what we can for our members. Yeah. Uh, one of my friends, um, uh, Noah Courier, um, mm-hmm. founder of Oscar Mike and the Oscar Mike Foundation, um, you know, I think has done a really great job uh, with Oscar Mike Foundation and raising funds for um, paralyzed veterans or just for veterans that uh, for that want to get into adaptive sports. Um, how how big is that component for you guys in helping uh, helping paralyzed veterans uh, stay active and get in, getting involved in stuff like that? Uh, Noah's someone I know personally, so I'm kind of okay. biased. Uh, <laughs> I knew him before he was the big sensation he is now. Sure, <laughs> big sensation. Um, I like that. I think I first met him through the Winter Sports Clinic out in Colorado. Okay, um, he was kind of a skier like I was, uh, sit skier, and I think he was starting Oscar Mike at the time and. Uh, we t- uh, he thought it was a great opportunity, and we talked about it, and it was growing. And uh, I think he reached out through our PAVE program, too, uh, back in the day, and which is paving access for veteran employment. And he was kind of a, a success story, entrepreneur-wise. Yeah. And uh, we highlighted his story, and we tell it over and over so that maybe it'll inspire some member out there, a new injury, to do the same thing, mm-hmm. to realize you don't need to sit at home. Get out and get in life. You know, if you want to go to work, great. If you want to volunteer, whatever the case may be, get out and do something. And I think Noah is a pretty huge inspiration that why way, and he's a huge overachiever in my mind. Yeah. And so. Yeah, he, uh, him, and I were were a part of a panel uh, down in um, it was uh, down in Nashville. We did a panel on on suicide prevention, mm. um, and I remember just talking to him and just how. Uh, just it's so aspirational that he uh, he is and um, let's let's talk let's go to uh, collaborating uh, or at least working how PVA works with the Department of Veterans Affairs um, how what involvement do does PVA have in um, in helping you said someone visited you when you were when you were injured in present day what does that what does that look like how when is when is PVA alerted or or how how do you guys how do you guys know that there is someone uh, to reach out to and when do you start getting involved in their care their rehab stuff like that um, probably two major factors our relationship with the with the veterans benefits that's where the NSOs come in. Uh, we also work in conjunction with the VA to perform site visits on an annual basis of the spinal cord injury clinics and MS centers. Uh, the VA has given us access to, they've actually thought outside the box and they let us go in and actually look and interview staff, uh, interview patients. Uh, this is probably going on monthly with a, with a team that's comprised of uh, our medical services department under veterans benefits and so sometimes the local chapter and a national director has experience in how SCI Center should uh, function. That's an invaluable resource. It gives us the benefit of knowing that our members are getting the health care they need. It also gives the VA the opportunity to look and make sure that through kind of a benchmark to make sure that they're delivering those benefits like they should. So it's a really good relationship between paralyzed veterans and the Veterans Administration. Uh, the one obvious one is the National Veterans Wheelchair Games. 
Uh, that's been going on 38 years now. Uh, that is almost like a Siamese twins relationship between the VA and PVA. We need each other to make it happen every year. Um, if we didn't have the VA support, I doubt very highly it, w it would happen. Um, that relationship has been so close over the years. Um, I can't see what would stop it for the next 20 years. But we need to always constantly thank the VA and work on that relationship to make sure it's rock solid every year. Um, I think both of us get mutual benefits from us, but at the end result, it's the veteran, the competitor that, that uh, benefits from that relationship. I know recent, um, recently there was a, um, there was a, uh, a, a golf event uh, locally. Um, I know that the, um, I, don't know what you, I don't know what it's called, the, the chair that, that helps uh, veterans stand, stand up for their, for their golf yeah. swing. Um, when stuff like that hits the market, what like how exciting is that for the community that there's this new, new resources, new this new way to do something that that gives them one more opportunity to uh, to be involved in something? Um, yeah, we just did the uh, uh, PVGO, which is Paralyzed Veterans Golf Open Monday. Yeah. Um, it's something we've done for this eleventh year. We've done it. Yeah. Uh, how long has that chair been around? Oh. About 12 years, I okay. want to say. Um, I've played in it. It literally gives you the it's the closest thing to playing stand-up golf Yeah. if you can't. And uh, I've played out of it. And uh, hopefully they'll come up with something a little bit better. They can always tweak things. But sure. uh, it's given the ability for a lot of disabled veterans, not only PVA veterans, but disabled veterans around the country to uh, get back out on the course, which is huge psychologically. Yeah. And uh, – um, where I play in American Lakes that you're probably familiar with growing up in Washington State. Sure. Um, has about 10 or 12 of those carts available at all times. doesn't cost you a thing. You just have to go out and play. Uh, Jack Nicholas designed the back nine. It is such a great course to play. I play it when I'm back home. Uh, we're trying to get that message across the country, trying to get those golf carts um, out everywhere we can. So... Uh, it's just it's changed thousands of veterans' lives. PVGO through the paid program, we just hit the five thousand mark of securing five thousand jobs uh, for disabled veterans. Uh, we're hoping to grow that as much as we can. Uh, we've raised four million dollars in that effort to do so. Uh, we're hoping that that effort just continues to grow. Yeah. Uh, one side note: that was about a hundred degrees out there Monday. <laughs> about about one hundred and six on the. Golf. Oh my goodness! About the thirteenth hole, I didn't know if I was going to make it. Oh my goodness! I wanted to suck it up for the the Navy veterans I was playing with. So, <laughs> <laughs> you, um, how how closely do you work with um, with firms in in um, uh, what's the word like researchers and developers when uh, when they are trying to develop uh, new ideas for for chairs or for some for any type of accommodation how close does pva work with um with anybody that, um doing any sort of anything for accommodations um pretty much anybody we can reach out to that we think is going to affect uh, not only disabled veterans or our members but the disabled community as sure. a whole um we know we are advocates in that arena too uh there's a gentleman used to work for a va prospects named fred downs um, he had lost his arm in, in Vietnam. He uh, tests out arms almost on a monthly basis. Hmm. He's probably tested out 100, and he gives feedback 
Fred's kind of the one that sparked PVA to go down that road. Anytime a wheelchair researcher reaches out to us, uh, we have an agreement with Yale University in uh, Connecticut. It's constantly we're getting feedback from them. Um, how can we improve um, veterans' lives with spinal cord injuries or, or whatever the case may be? Uh, recently, I think this fall is going to have their 30th anniversary. We're going to go tour the facility. Uh, they're making breakthroughs in pain. Um, mm. Hopefully, in 100 years from now or whatever, uh, spinal cord injury will be a thing of the past. We're not there, but we can try to make efforts um, where we can to, to, to help our veterans. I think pain is somewhere we can make yeah. an impression. Uh, one other thing is um, architecture. Um, access to buildings, stadiums, yeah. streets. Uh, we c constantly have colleges and groups reach out to us, and we, we try to collaborate the best we can. Sure. Um, I've, I've had Rory Cooper uh, on the podcast who um, was talking about just some of the amazing work that he's gotten involved in. Um, there's, uh, I, I know there's, there's plenty of work to be done, but I think that it's, it's amazing the kind of strides that are being, uh, being made, especially with the, the type of work that Rory's doing. Um, if Rory hears this, sorry, I forgot to mention it. My pea brain's limited to what I can <laughs> hold in it. Uh, but yeah, Rory at the Hurl program has yeah. been a huge advocate for paralyzed veterans, disabled veterans. Uh, he sits on our research uh, foundation and uh, provides a lot of expertise that'll, that'll help uh, members down the road. It'll be beyond him and I. And uh, it's information that we hopefully will last 50 years, 60 years. And uh, to me, that's was important is PVA is bigger than me and anybody in this organization and uh, the goal is just to assist who we can now and down the road you know beyond farther than we can see or live so yeah what um, where, where are we now in 2018 when it comes to residential accommodations um, and maybe not just about not maybe not not just where where that veteran may live, mm -hmm. but just in general. One thing that my wife and I uh, realized a few years ago when she was living in Columbus was, hey, if, if someone in a wheelchair visited us, there would be no way for them to get to the apartment, right? There was, you know, there, it was stair access only. Um, and the first time, it's like the first time you notice that, you start noticing it everywhere and realize it's, there's a lot more limitations uh, than, uh, than, I, than I think we originally realized. Where are we now in 2018 with um, with getting developers to consider that to make sure that that's uh, built into the plans. You mentioned architecture is something that will continually have to get better, but where are we, where are we right now? Um, it's kind of a twofold thing. I guess prior to my injury, I had no concern or no idea about that. Uh, having been in a wheelchair and even ambulating and kneeled, things like handrails are yeah. so important. Um, I see things from a different perspective than an uh, able-bodied person. And it's only because of my injury. Uh, I don't think we're even close to being there to solving all the problems, but I think we've got a pretty good crack in that wall. And I, th I always tell people I'll use the legislation idea when you're trying to pass a bill. You put on a hard hat and you hit that wall head first as hard as you can, and you do it constantly until you get a crack. And then hopefully you break it. Um, I think that's where we are with accessibility. I think we're putting a crack in the wall. We're getting our message out there. I think we're progressing further than we have. I think there's a long ways to go, but I think eventually we're going to get there where in everybody's mind when they build a building or build a house or even remodel a house, they're going to be thinking about access. And uh, that's our goal. 
One one more thing I want to make sure we cover is is mental health. You you, you mentioned like with the um, you know with, with the the creation of that golf chair and how just how big psychologically it is to be able to get back out on to, onto the course. And I think you know we often hear the "I'm just thankful to be alive" mm-hmm. line, but I, I think we'd also be fooling ourselves if we didn't b- believe that there were still struggles psychologically with um with still having i mean i don't know do you still wake up frustrated with with limitations or have you um have you is it so part of your life now that uh um that you just come to terms with it like and 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 i'm just uh you can take this question sort of however you uh, uh would like to go but i think it's in um we often see the, the the keynote speakers. We see the the powerful documentaries, and a lot of the times, the the final line is, uh, "I'm just thankful to be alive. I'm grateful to have my life." But I'm sure there still has to be mental health challenges and emotional health challenges um, that come along with um, with being injured. Um, what was that like for you personally, and how does PVA uh, deal with that uh, with the veterans that they care for? Um. Yeah, I think I think personally we all struggle with, with depression at first, especially when you go through something devastating in your life, injury, whatever the case may be. I think it's important to find a purpose in life or a reason to get up every morning. And um, I've seen people at their lowest points, and it's it's quite devastating to see someone like that. But I think for me personally and for other people, we have to pick those people up. A, tell them that they're loved, tell them that respected, help them to find a purpose. Um, let them know that they can be an inspiration to one person, hundred person, thousand, whatever the case may be. They can make a difference in life, right to the right to the natural end of their life. Um, there are going to be pitfalls. There are going to be hurdles. They need to realize that. They need to find a way to overcome them. But even if I had a good friend named David Fowler who was paralyzed from the neck down, for his, all, and he pushed his chair using a sip and puff mechanism, and he was the happiest person I ever met. And uh, when I first met him in Colorado, I said, what the bleep makes you so happy? And he goes, buy me a drink and I'll tell you. <laughs> and, uh, and he did. And we had this conversation. It, it blossomed into about a 14-year relationship and friendship. Um, he passed on, unfortunately. But he passed a lot of wisdom that, you know, you, it's important to find purpose in life. No matter what your limitations, there's something that you can do to help someone. There's something that you can do to make a difference in life. And that's the message I try to pass on to people. And, and he's the, probably the greatest example that I tell people that with less of a disability, this is a guy that found a purpose in life and found happiness until he died. You can do the same thing. Yeah. Um, what's, what's an experience or skill set that you've got in the military that you believe is contributing to your success today? Uh, getting to work on time. Uh, I have... I, that's probably one of my pet peeves if you can't figure out a way to get to work on time. So, um, and just uh, when you start something, you finish it. I think that's the, those are the two greatest examples the military taught me. Yeah. You, uh, that's going to be, that's good. That's, that's going to be stress inducing on your staff living in Washington, DC. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes you will I'll leave 15 minutes early and the Metro will still make me 10 minutes late. <laughs> yeah. My, yeah. My dad was, uh, he's a four year army guy and a school teacher. So I knew teachers are always right, and you better get your butt to school yeah. or, and whatever on time. So sure. It's always been beaten into my head. I've only been late twice, I think, the things in 25 years. So, yeah. Wow, that's impressive. <laughs> that's impressive. Um, 
other th other than PVA and uh, maybe some like you know VA Oscar Mike some of the some of the ones we've mentioned. What's a veteran? Give me a veteran or a veteran organization that you're familiar with that has you excited about what they're doing right now. You could you can take your time to think about it. Hmm. Uh, probably the DAV right now. So um. Uh, they're really wor working out with us, collaborate on things uh, for the first time, and uh, they're starting to provide a lot of uh, opportunities. Especially, we've worked really well with the wheelchair games and the Warner Sports Clinic, and uh, they kind of do the Warner Sports Clinic. We do the wheelchair games, but uh, they're we're working together to reach out to everybody that we can, and we're trying to focus on uh, traumatic brain injuries and PTSD. They kind of don't fit anywhere and we're trying to we're trying to uh, figure out how to fulfill the needs that they they need and uh i hope in the next five years we can uh f figure out a way to get the uh them the benefits give them the purpose and give them a landing pad yeah that's well. wonderful well david i really appreciate your time thank you for your time yeah this was great i was a gunner's mate tonkin golf logistics ramstein Medic, Kandahar. As a veteran, it doesn't matter when or where you served. Infantry, Camp Pendleton. Or what you did. The VA has benefits that may be useful to you right now. See what VA can do for you. To learn what benefits you may be eligible for, visit www.va.gov. That's www.va.gov. If you'd like to connect with Paralyzed Veterans of America, visit pva.org. Also, friendly reminder about tomorrow's VA Home Loan event, Facebook Live on the National Association of Realtors Facebook page, 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Be sure to tune in. Yesterday, a World War II veteran was awarded the Medal of Honor, but I have not been able to find the official full citation so i'm going to save that for next time this week this week's medal of honor citation reading is going to be for the most recent award prior to that brit slabinski service is u.s navy conflict is the war on terror in afghanistan year of honor 2002 Citation reads, for conspicuous gallantry and intrepidity at the risk of his life and above and beyond the call of duty will assign to joint task force in support of oper Operation Enduring Freedom. In the early morning of 4 March 2002, Senior Chief Special Warfare Operator Slabinski led a reconnaissance team to its assigned area atop a 10,000 foot snow covered mountain. Their insertion helicopter was suddenly riddled with rocket-propelled grenades and small arms fire from previously undetected enemy positions. The crippled helicopter lurched violently and ejected one teammate onto the mountain before the pilots were forced to crash land in the valley far below. Senior Chief Slabinski boldly rallied his five remaining team members and marshaled supporting assets for an assault to rescue their stranded teammate. During reinsertion, the team came under fire from three directions, and one teammate started moving uphill toward an enemy strongpoint. 
Without regard for his own safety, Senior Chief Slabinski charged directly toward enemy fire to join his teammate. Together, they fearlessly assaulted and cleared the first bunker they encountered. The enemy then unleashed a hail of machine gun fire from a second hardened position only 20 meters away. Senior Chief Slabinski repeatedly exposed himself to deadly fire to personally engage the second enemy bunker and orient his team's fire in the furious close quarters firefight. Proximity made air support impossible and after several teammates became casualties, the situation became untenable. Senior Chief Slabinski maneuvered his team to a more defensible position, directed airstrikes in a close proximity to his team's position, and requested reinforcements. As daylight approached, accurate enemy mortar fire forced the team further down the sheer mountainside. Senior Chief Slabinski carried a seriously wounded teammate through deep snow and led a difficult trek across precipitous terrain while calling in fire on the enemy, which was engaging the team from the surrounding ridges. Throughout the next 14 hours, Senior Chief Slabinski stabilized the casualties and continued the fight against the enemy until the hill was secured and his team was extracted. By his undaunted courage, bold initiative, leadership, and devotion to duty, Senior Chief Slabinski reflected great credit upon himself and upheld the highest traditions of the United States Naval Service. We honor his service. That does it for this week's episode of Born the Battle. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. I know there's a lot of options out there for entertainment, so I truly do appreciate you spending your time listening to these powerful veteran stories and learning how they're impacting our community. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at DEPT Vet Affairs for more stories and images from our community. I'm Timothy Lawson, signing off.